This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. It could have been perfect. Snowbound in the mountain lodge with a girl who was falling in love. But also present were a widow sick with rage, a bitter old woman, and a jealous man. All with reason to hate me more than anyone else in the world. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Grim Echo. Pretty thick. Yeah. You're lucky you caught me, son. Yeah? We're just closing up. Well, when you have. Yeah, better fill it with a regular, huh? Okay. Does that mean that you're aiming to go on? That's right. Gotta get back to LA. I wouldn't advise it, son. Old Jacker and sure wouldn't. Liable to hit ten below, they say. Yeah? Where you been, skiing? Yeah, a week of it up at Angel's Roost. How's the road ahead? Well, you got 40 miles or nothing but mountains to the next town, you know. You're bound to get drifted over any time. Hey, why don't you blow that thing? Eh? Hey, what's the tariff? Oh, call it three bucks even. You know, I've been running this mobile gas station here 20 years, and I know these storms are nasty. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. Yeah, that's what you all say. Out on the road, you could freeze to death. Real easy. And this plaid shirt I'm wearing, you're ripping me, Pop. Uh, listen, that shirt won't even start to keep you warm on a deserted highway in this blizzard. Take it from old Jacker and son, I know. Yeah, well, thanks anyway. So long, old Jacker. solid nerve-wracking hour to make 12 miles. And I began to realize just how right old Jack Ernst, the gas station boy, had been when the road ahead was lost completely in a constant racing blur of white. Transformed every rise into a treacherous barrier I had to batter my way through. The chains on all four wheels chewing at the drifts, I managed to keep on the road somehow and plow out another five miles. And then... I caught a glimpse of the first lighted window I'd seen in all that distance just as I started down the backside of a short, steep hill. Then it happened. First, the helpless feeling of a skid. Before I could do anything about it, I was off the road in the ditch, nose first and hood deep, in a culvert drifted full of snow. I forced the door open and floundered back up to the road. I knew there was no chance of getting the car out without help and lots of it. 
and the ten below zero that the weather bureau had bragged about was setting in. I looked back through the slashing snow for the lighted window I'd spotted and saw a lantern swinging crazily in the hands of somebody coming toward me. A minute later, I could see it was a girl. Hello! Hello, are you hurt? No, I'm okay. Huh? My car's stuck. I skidded off the road. Yes, I know. I watched it. Oh, my. No chance of getting it out of there tonight. No. That's bad. Maybe tomorrow, if the blizzard lets up, we can get you out. Meantime, you better come on up to the lodge, mister. Lodge? Uh-huh. Mean I slid off the road right in front of a tourist lodge? Uh, oh, boy, how can I be that lucky? Well, maybe it's fate. We're not open for business in the winter, but on a night like I this... I know what you mean, believe me. I really appreciate it. Couldn't get tough staying out here. Oh, by the way, my name's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. I want to pay what? you for... Did you say Philip Marlowe? Yeah, something wrong with What's me? your business, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, well, I'm a private detective from L.A. I've been skiing. I don't care where you've been or where you're going. You'll get no help from me, Mr. Philip Marlowe, you understand? I'd rather get shot into a dirty dog. I hope you freeze, do you hear? I hope you freeze to death. She was a thin girl with black hollow eyes, full of hate for me. She didn't stop or look back all the way to the door, just ran in and slammed it shut. Couldn't understand it. Even on my worst day, my reputation never was that bad. I didn't wait around to worry about it because I was cold. Besides, I wanted to know why the good name Philip Marlowe was such poison at a place I'd never heard of before. I waded up to the heavy, rustic door and looked in through a tiny window. All I could see was one corner of what had to be a big room. It was log, leather, and Navajo rugs, dominated by an enormous fireplace that filled every nook with a warm, dancing glow. <laughs> Poison or no, I want it in. Coming, just a minute. Oh, hello. Hello. You, uh, you picked a bad night to travel. <laughs> sure did. Oh, well, uh, won't you come in? Oh, sure, sure. I'm Donna. How are you? This is Echo Lodge. Uh, We're not open now, but... Well, of course, you can't go on in the storm. No, I can't. Besides, my car's in a ditch. Well, uh, you'll be spending the night, then. I'd love to, but there seems to be two schools of thought on that subject. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know why, but, you know, I don't think I'm very welcome. <laughs> why do you say that? Well, I... I'll uh... tell you why, Donna. Well, Helen, oh, dear, what's wrong? He's been crying. Do you know who he is? No, we haven't gotten around to the magic of my name yet, Helen, but maybe you'll be good Our enough to tell me. Our name is Baraki. Does that mean anything to you? Baraki? Oh, Helen, yes! yes. Baraki. Virgil Baraki was my husband. Virgil Baraki was Donna's brother. And Virgil Baraki was the man that you shot down and killed. Do you remember? I remembered, all right. Six months ago trail that led up a blind Los Angeles alley to a garage where stolen cars were switched. I remembered the pair of vicious blue eyes glaring at me over the sights of a blazing 45. And I remembered shooting back fast. When it was over, I was alive and he was dying. And later, the coroner's jury decided I'd killed in self-defense. The savagery here in the eyes of the woman who had been Virgil Barucki's wife said that that decision meant nothing. Yes. Is this true? Are you the one who... Yeah, yeah, it's true. I shot a man named Virgil Barucki. I had to or be killed by him. There was no choice. You liar. You killed him in cold blood. Now, get out of here. You've done enough to us. Get out. Helen, stop it. Oh, Mama. Mama Barucki, listen, Mama. This is the man who killed Virgil. I know. I've been listening and I heard everything. 
Go find Ralph for me, Helen. Then you'd better go off your workshop for a while. Didn't you hear me? I said, I the man. said go call Ralph now, at once. Tell him to open the cabin. Then go back to your carving. Can't turn a man out in this weather, not any man. You stay, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you, Mrs. Baraki. Donna, go get some hot food. All right, Mom. So, you're Philip Marlowe, the private detective. You don't look much like I'd imagined you. Do people ever? Perhaps not. Oh, um, would you mind fixing the fire? Needs another log. Oh, not at all. You, uh, were stopped by the storm, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah. <clears throat> My car skidded into the ditch about 50 yards down the road. I see. Almost at our doorstep, you might say. Rare coincidence, isn't it? Almost too rare, Mrs. Barucki. I, uh, I'm sorry the circumstances are painful for you. I've grown used to that kind of pain, having lost both a husband and a son. Fate up to now has never been very generous. Do you believe in fate, Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, some things happen for which there's no explanation, maybe, but... No explanation? But... Who knows? Perhaps everything happens according to a prearranged schedule. And for a purpose. Oh, come on. You don't really think I was deliberately shoved off the road at exactly this spot for a reason? Oh, you might admit it's strange, though, that there was a house nearby just when you needed one. And that it was our house. Oh, thank you, Donna. Uh, it's only soup, but it's hot and good, and it's fresh bread. <laughs> the coffee will be ready in a few minutes. Go ahead, Mr. Marlowe. Sit down. It'll do you good. Thanks. Looks wonderful. In the meanwhile, I'll check up on Ralph. He should have the cabin ready by now. It's small, but you'll be comfortable. There's a fine big oil heater in it. I haven't worked one for years. You won't have any trouble. Tell me, uh, uh, who is this Ralph? Ralph Tolman, young fellow who lives near here. Uh, Ralph worked for us in the summer. And looks after us in the winter. He's staying over tonight because of the storm. He was my son's best friend. Oh, don't let the soup get cold, Mr. Marlowe. The soup was thick and delicious, and the coffee was rich, black, and steaming. Donna sat across the table and watched me eat. There was no hatred in her eyes. I looked for it closely wasn't even animosity. Only confusion and, for some reason, a shadow of fear. But as an hour slipped by and the conversation came easier, the shadow disappeared. Her eyes even began to smile a little. When I'd finished down to the third cup of coffee and started to help her clear the table, the cup slipped. We both grabbed for it, caught one slim inch from breaking, and wound up together on the floor. Our faces close. Why, Phil, we did it. What a team. A table waiters are jugglers. And we could double <laughs> both and make a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ralph. Yeah, Ralph. What's going on? Uh, we have almost dropped a cup. Uh-huh. And it sure would have been too bad, wouldn't it, Dennis? You only got about 50 like that one. I, uh, I don't know why it's so important to you, but for what it's worth, I was the one who dropped it. It's not important to me. I guess other things aren't so important to Donna, either. Think you can get it out to the kitchen now without any more help, Donna? Ralph, it's high time that you... Mrs. Barucki asked me to tell you the cabin's ready, Marlowe. Thanks. No thanks necessary, mister. It's just part of my job. Guess everybody's job has its lousy side, huh? Even a private detective. Some of them get trigger-happy, I heard. I'll see you, Donna. You better get out there right away, Marlowe. 
Donna's got four whole dishes to carry out. And at the rate she's been going, she ought to get started or she'll never make it. Keep your fat trap shut, Buster. You're causing a draft. Tolman walked behind me as far as the door and pointed through the snow to a tiny square of light sitting apart from the rest of the buildings that made up Echo Lodge. As soon as I was outside, he slammed the door against my back and bolted it. I stood on the porch and thought about the setup for a minute while I lit a cigarette. And I stepped out into the snow and headed for the cabin. Halfway there, I could see it clearly. It looked snug and warm. And under the circumstances, I knew it was better for everybody that I was sleeping outside the main lodge. But then I saw a sudden flash and felt the impact before anything else. Right in front of me, the cabin lurched. One entire wall burst out and the roof collapsed. A second later, as I ran toward what was left of it, I could hear the others coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, Donna. What happened, Marlowe? I don't know, Tolman. I can't understand it. Yeah, Helen, that's the way it looks. But it was working okay when I left. I guess it's not going to burn, though. The snow put it all out. Well, just another few seconds, and you'd have been in there. You'd have been killed. Yeah, maybe that was fate, too, huh? Maybe. Donna, get away from here. Oh, Helen. I wish you had been in there, Marlowe. You deserve it. Hey. Stop it, Helen. He's got no business here. Stop it. Oh, let me alone. Good Lord, after what he's done to us, how can you bear even to look at it? Oh, Helen, come back here. Never go. This was an accident, Donna. An accident, you hear? They happened. Don't say this tomorrow. Oh, sure, sure. Everybody knows accidents will happen, Mrs. Barucki. Of course. Oh, then let's get back into the house before we freeze to death. You can have my room now. I'll sleep with Donna. Come along, all of In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Groucho Marx, his famous ad-libs, and his teams of opposites will be back betting their lives on most of these same CBS stations tomorrow night. You've missed half your life if you haven't bet your life with Groucho Marx on Wednesday nights this season. Hear him on this top quiz show tomorrow night on CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Grim Echo. It was a dreary little procession that trudged back toward the lodge again from the shuttered cabin. I said nothing and pushed hard against the storm as far as the front door. But when they were all inside, I ducked back into the biting blizzard and ran down to my car in the 38 I kept in the glove compartment there. I figured it would be a warning comfort through the long, cold night ahead. Until I saw that somebody else had figured the same way. The lock on the glove compartment had been sprung and the gun was gone. Now there was no doubt about the explosion. It had been no less accidental than Lucretia Borgia working over an after-dinner drink. As I hurried back to the lodge, I suddenly felt a kind of inside cold which you can't have a blame on the weather around you. But a moment later, that same cold began to thaw. Because huddled at the edge of the lodge steps ahead was Donna. Phil, where have you been? What have you been doing? Hey. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, Phil, please. Why did you go down to your car? Well, I'll tell you, but you're going to be sorry. Sorry? <laughs> but you got so upset over nothing. Why don't you get some cigarettes out of the glove compartment? 
It was fresh out. That, that was your only reason? Cigarettes? Sure, sure. Now, come on, huh? You got to worry. Let's do it where we can both be warm. <laughs> come on over to the fire. I'm a city boy, you know. This cold isn't doing me any... Hey. Hey, Donna. Those tears in your eyes. There. They're from the wind. It, it always makes me cry. Yeah. Oh, Phil. Why do things have to be this way? An hour ago when you were eating... Everything was so nice, so friendly. And then suddenly, Ralph angry, the explosion, Helen screaming and clawing at your mama. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But look, look, baby, listen to me hard, huh? Yes? You see, the things you just spoke of, Ralph, the explosion, Helen, all of it, all the trouble, it belongs to tonight, like the blizzard out there. Oh, it's raging now, sure, but tomorrow... Or maybe a little after tomorrow it'll stop. Everything will look bright and clean to you. Honest, honey, that's the way it'll be. All the way around. Believe me? Oh, Phil, I... I want to, but... But what? But you're talking about tomorrow. I'm worried about tonight. I'm afraid, Phil. Awfully afraid. spent the next ten minutes trying to convince Donna that there wasn't anything to worry about. And then when she'd gone to her room, I went to mine and started all over again trying to convince myself. The out-of-season fireworks at the cabin and a gun stolen from my car made that a very tough proposition. And I checked the room, which was on the ground floor and close to the kitchen. And then I bolted the door and looked forward to some much-needed sleep. After that, I took off my shirt and shoes only, got into bed, and waited for sleep, which a weekend of skiing made more important than a cabin full of hate. Suddenly, I was wide awake and sitting straight up in bed. The footsteps could have belonged to my dream. The door that closed couldn't have. I scrambled out of bed and ran to it, but it was still bolted. So I turned to the single closet in the room and opened it sharply. It was empty, except for a long, thin finger of light that streamed through a keyhole keyhole that belonged to a door at the rear of the closet that gave out onto the kitchen. Obviously, the closet had once been a pantry. I tried the door, but it was bolted from the kitchen side. I got into my shoes, grabbed my shirt, and ran out of the room around to the kitchen and smacked into a very surprised Ralph. Oh, my... Marlo, what are you doing up and roaming around? I'm a sleepwalker. What's your excuse? Come on, let's have it. I'm through playing target for tonight. Target! Sure, can't talk to me, Marlo. But I know why you're here and exactly what's on your mind. I will not before. Well, have we come to terms? All right, all right, let go. I'm here because my room is on the ground floor and I heard somebody cross through the house and come into this kitchen. So I decided to investigate. You're a liar. You're in my room, Tolman, and you know it. You got in through the door that leads into the closet. Come on, Buster, let's level. We're keeping each other awake. Listen, Marlowe, I don't like you. Honest? And I don't like the way you and Donna are... The way we're what? Come on, boy, get it off your chest. Never mind that now. Look at this. Wood shaving, so what? Yeah, found it near the door to the closet in your room. Might also be the answer to who your visitor was. She left her calling card. What do you mean, calling card? Helen. She's always covered with these shavings. She makes things out of rough pine. Where is this workshop of hers, Tom? Out in the back. Just beyond the barn. What are you going to do, Marlowe? Not that it's any of your business, but I'm going to see the lady. And I'll see you. What do you want? 
Conversation, Helen, if you don't mind. Oh, wait a minute. You were playing. Close I that don't... door. I will not. Then I will. Now, get over there and sit down. We got a few things to clear up. Like what? The way you murdered my husband, perhaps? Cut it out. Stop it, Helen, or I'll put your arm off. Just as soon as you decide to behave. Those nails are yours draw blood, baby. What, are going to be good? Yeah. All right. Now sit down. Over there, away from those sharp chisels you work with and keep your hands in your lap. Go on, that chair there. Very well, Mr. Marlowe. Anything to accommodate the man who murdered my husband. Which brings us right to the point. You deny it. You deny that you shot him down. I fired in self-defense. That's a speaking lie. You did it to feather your own nest to be a hero to the police and the newspapers. You're wrong, Helen. I killed your husband because I had to. He was on the wrong side. Oh, don't make me laugh. You called trying to get money for his family, for me? You call that being on the wrong side? So much that he should have been killed, shot down by the likes of you? Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you have no idea how through these past six lonely months I've thought of you. I've wondered what you looked like. What the man who killed Virgil was doing. How you'd like to meet the same death you brought to my husband under the brave banner of law and order. Now, wait a minute. And listen. don't think I didn't plan your death a thousand times over. Don't think I didn't approach Mama Baraki, Ralph, even sweet little Donna with a delicious thought of revenge. No. No, they talk like you talk, Mr. Marlowe. Virgil was doing the wrong thing. He was caught. It wasn't right or wrong. It was him or me. Oh, you shut up and listen. Sure. Sure, Virgil was stealing, all right. He was stealing from me, his wife. That's why he left here. That's why he tried so hard. That's why you had no reason to kill him. And that's why you should die, too. Oh, that's also why we had an accidental explosion at the cabin I was supposed to sleep in, huh? I was clumsy. I was hasty. I won't be the next time. You're completely out of your mind, Helen. Out of my mind? Of course I am. Did you think this existence is living without the man I love could leave me otherwise? Did you think making these stupid souvenirs Killing me isn't going to bring him back. You get out of here. Go on. Get out. And if you can, Mr. Marlowe, go back to bed. While you wait for a chance to get me with my own gun, the gun you stole from my car? I'm not going to shoot you, Mr. Marlowe. That would only further disgrace the Baraki name, no. No, I'm not going to shoot you. But I am going to get you. long, chilling moment, I stared into the eyes of a half-crazed woman standing in front of me. The ice-cold, bottomless eyes that a cancerous hate had destroyed as something human. And as I turned and started out of the room, I knew that I'd made a mistake that night. Virgil Barucki had died in my arms. A mistake I had to correct before it was too late. And there was nothing left of Helen but the ruthless machinery of a mind dedicated to murder. I headed back to the house for a talk to Mama Barucki, which I figured had to be the first immediate step. When I'd gone only a dozen yards from the workshop, I stopped. Bill, Bill, I'm over here. Donna, what are you doing out here? I couldn't sleep, Bill. I was too worried about you. And then when I saw you leave the house from my window and head for the workshop, I... Bill, Bill, your face. Oh, it was Helen. She, uh, she got a little upset in there. A little? Who'd look at you? Your pocket ripped off your shirt, Mm -hmm. your face scratched. Oh, it's all right, Donna. No. Hey. Hey, my pocket ripped off. The gun. Tell me, please. Now, hold it, Donna. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. It adds, all right. Now, look, get over there inside the barn and scream. Long and loud, huh? Scream? Yeah, yeah. It's our only chance. Go on, do as I say, Donna. Scream. All right. I'll do it, Joe. Whatever you say. 
second Donna cut loose, I stepped out of sight behind a tree that was opposite the pond, and I kept my eyes glued to the door of the workshop I just left. I waited for the shattering report of the gun I was afraid I'd hear. But then the door flew open, and Helen was running out toward the barn, and Donna screamed. <coughs> my thirty-eight clenched in a handkerchief Daddy. in her right hand, a look of stark bewilderment stamped over her face. Donna, answer me! What's wrong? Donna, what are you doing there by the barn? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Save it to me. Helen, I've had that gun back without further discussion. Yes. There. Now get back against that wall and don't move an inch. No! No, I... Oh, what is all this? Attempted murder, honey. She's all right. Attempted murder? You mean Helen here was going to try and kill someone? Yeah, herself. Oh, suicide? Uh-huh, suicide. That would be called murder and pinned on me. It's going to be her way of getting even. I know, Bill. I, I can't believe it. She tried to once, honey. The explosion at the cabin. When that failed and everybody knew how she felt about me, a warped mind hit upon this little plan, and all the pieces would have fit tight, too. What pieces? What do you mean? That one we argued. Who she came to my room tonight and ripped the pocket off this plaid shirt so that we'd find it clenched in her hand after she was dead. You see it? Oh. Three, she stole my thirty-eight, which has my fingerprints on it. And four, she left an obvious clue on the floor of the kitchen, a wood shaving that would bring me out here on the run. So everybody could find me close by when it happened. Oh, oh yeah, it was tight, all right. Tight as a hangman's noose. And then she was going to shoot herself, Phil, just after you left her. And that, that's why you made me scream? Yeah. And that's why now, Donna, later tonight, I'm going to tell her something that I intended to break to her gently. Oh. Something I was going to tell Mama Barucki first. You... Something I hoped would straighten her out. What, Phil? Well, your brother Virgil didn't die the moment he was shot, Donna. He, oh. he lived long enough to ask one thing of me. What are, what are you trying to say, Phil? But I never let Helen or you people here know about the woman he was in love with in L.A. The woman through whom I tracked him down. Oh, Phil. Yeah. Well, I... I guess it... It wouldn't be good for her if... I was around too much? No, honey, not for a while, anyway. Wouldn't be good for any of us, huh? Come on, Donna, let's get her into the house. Yes, Yes, Phil. <laughs> well, it was the next morning. I went into the kitchen for some coffee and found myself all alone. Thought I wasn't any place in sight. So I got my things together and walked slowly down to my car and... When I got in, I didn't feel like leaving. Not right away. And I was glad that warming up my motor was a smart thing to do. Gave me time to light a cigarette and think. Look around. Back toward Echo Lodge where... <laughs> I could see Donna waving goodbye from an upstairs window. Yeah. I'd see her again in a little while. It was a small world, all right. Full of echoes. And just think how the web of paths we call coincidence had brought me and those who knew and loved Virgil together. Someday, maybe, Donna and I would be looking for each other. And those paths would make it a lot easier.
adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, Betty Lou Gerson, Verna Felton, Frank Gerstle, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom, all had one thing in common. Each was a woman. Al Jolson will pay another of those wonderful visits to Bing Crosby this Wednesday night. And the gags and songs will again fly thick and fast. Bing and Al will team up to sing Waiting for the Robert E. Lee and Whispering. And as for the gags, well, just tune in on most of these same CBS stations. Remember, that's this Wednesday night, the CBS Bing Crosby Show. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS network stations. This is CBS, where you bet your life with Groucho Marx every Wednesday, the Columbia Broadcasting System. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Did you ever wonder, folks, how a certain species of blonde can breathe in spite of a heart of stone? The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. A confidential investigator occupies a kind of strategic position in law enforcement. He can mix with an element a regular department cop is obliged to scorn, if not arrest on sight. Like a cop, the confidential operator is on the side of the angels, but he can work for the devil, like I did, not too voluntarily once upon a crime. The case came at me in broad daylight at the foot of Father Duffy's statue on Broadway. The first I knew of it was a gun in my ribs. Freeze, Shamus, and don't let out a peep. A tough right out of a B-movie with a reek to him like he ate garlic for candy. Is it a gun or a monkey wrench, Sonny? Bleed and find out. A line of dialogue like that, you ought to copyright. Hey, you're talking yourself to death. Shut my mouth. See that car in the corner? <laughs> the green and white job that reads PD? Not the police car, smart guy, the one behind it. Oh, the hot limousine. It ain't hot. It was bought legitimate. Pardon me. Go get into it. 
Times must be hard for you to get down to me. This isn't a snatch. Then what is it? You'll find out. In with you. Give her the gun, Needles. And off the big street, first turn you can make. Heading downtown, I tried for a peek into my future. Who was it? Who was who? Hired you to work over me. <laughs> You're sure in a sweat, Shamus. It's my memories coming back. A lot of guys resent the free room and board I arranged for them up the river. You're guessing wrong. Oh, I'm relieved. Or am I? I'm going to blindfold you now. A cigarette toast? Now, why ain't you a comedian? Right now, I wish I'd pick the occupation. Hold steady. Can't see, can you? <laughs> Can't even breathe. Why include my nose in a blindfold? Breathe through your mouth, like me. I haven't the adenoids for it. Yeah, another crack, I'll rock you to sleep. Now shut up and enjoy the ride. I could guess our general destination by the odor. A New Yorker develops a nose for local geography. Front street somewhere off the East River. The foot and fish market couldn't be too far away. You're going down cellar steps, so hold on to the rail. I've got the rail. In with you, Shamus. Hey, was that push necessary? Here's your pigeon, boss. Good work. Take the blindfold off. I second the motion. Hello, Craig. Wait till the fog lifts. Not Sam Stacy. <laughs> Surprised? I'm shocked at the lousy reporting this town gets. The headlines have you in Acapulco and China. The papers have been crucifying me. Mad dog killer Stacy. Where do they come off with that stuff? A guy named Crowley wasn't only dead. A bullet in his brain, plus his head caved in, plus his features smeared and his clothes gone to make identification impossible, plus being drowned in Long Island Sound. You put your heart in your work, Stacy. I didn't kill Crowley. Nobody will believe you. Sure. I'm a dog with a bad name. Grab Stacy. Hang the frame on him. Okay. Start lying at me. Lying? Isn't that why I'm down here with the smell of fish and rats? Why, you... Maxie, lay off. <laughs> Maxie insults easy. Stop baiting him, Craig. He's a hothead. I must remember to cool him off someday. I'm waiting to hear the lie. There was bad blood between me and Crowley, Sure. I never made a secret of it. Crowley began taking horse bets on my side of the street. Like a chump, I shot off my mouth publicly where stoolies could pipe my remarks to the cops. Shut off your mouth about what you were going to do to Crowley. That's right. But you didn't. I didn't get a chance to. You tried to, however. Yeah. I'll give you the truth with nothing held back. At your own risk. Under these circumstances, I don't regard it as confidential. The day before Crowley was fished out of the river, I trailed him to Obermeyer's boathouse over on the north shore of Long Island. But... What's the big but? Crowley shook me. I brushed for him in my car off the pier, figuring he'd come walking right into my gun. He never came off the pier. He took off by motorboat. That's your story? It's the honest truth. Why are you crying at me? Get whoever beat me to Crowley. Get me in the clear. I'll pay a fat fee. If you live. I'll live. I've got a hot flash for you. 
There's a shoot-to-kill order out for you. <laughs> I'm in Acapulco, China. Only I know different now. You mean you'll finger me? I mean. It's a chance I'll have to take. The way it stacks, you're my only chance. Why not let me surrender you alive? No good. I'd hate myself in the hot seat. Maxie. Yeah, boss? Dump Craig somewhere. Crease him a little? A little. I can't risk you being able to pinpoint my hideout, Craig, if you decide against me. I've been hit on the head before. I don't want Craig injured, Maxie. Uh, just like you say. A big break for you, Shamus. <laughs> I came to with the 3rd Avenue L roaring through my head. I was on a stoop front, tilted at an angle, my hat down over my eyes, and an empty pint bottle at my feet, like a bum sleeping off a bottle of paint remover. Sensitive Maxie had a sense of humor after all. I found a note pinned inside my coat. Craig, I've got a wife and kids. Please, Stacy. Pinned to the note was a thousand-dollar bill, a retainer. <laughs> a wife and kids. If it was a lie, it was a good one. It was about the only way Stacy could hook me as a helper. Looking to hail a cruising cab, I got a first-hand view of Metropolitan Police efficiency. A familiar flivver that breathed so close it flicked lint off my trousers. Harry Craig! Lieutenant Trav Rogers. Climb in. Must I? It's an order. Where are we going? To make a police entry that you've been recovered safe and sound. What's the gag? You tell me. You were reported as kidnapped two hours ago. <laughs> Joke. I'm not in the habit of wasting official time on practical jokes. A Broadway news vendor with a stand across from Father Dovey's statue phoned in a report that a gunman picked you off the sidewalk and took you for a ride. Hmm. Nice to know our great big city is on its toes. Uh, I anticipated the worst. I have my men checking hospitals, ditches, cellars, and the morgue. Uh, tell them they can go back to playing Pinochle. Craig, what was it about? About? The snatch. Oh. <laughs> Trev, I wish I could tell you, only... Uh, only? I got hit on the head. Here, feel the lump. So? So I don't know anything. Uh, I got a touch of amnesia from the blow. Craig? Uh, let me out of the corner, huh, like a sweetheart. I, I got an important engagement with a boathouse. Overmeyer's boathouse looked like a wreck washed ashore by a hurricane. Scrap iron, old anchors, piles of rusted junk. Like Overmeyer never threw anything away. Boats for rent, hour, day, a week, the sign read. Hello? Yeah? Oh, uh, you rent motorboats? You can read. Sassy at your age, and you won't make out with St. Peter. Uh, what do you want? Civility. I ain't got any. Rent boats. Who's kidding who? Brace yourself for a shock, Overmeyer. I don't have to. You're a detective. It shows. Big feet, bad jokes, and a swelled head. Now, what's you after? A murderer. You won't find him here. The victim was a man named Crowley, a man you rented a boat to. I ain't never murdered a customer. Do you have some reason for being a little slippery, Grandpa? Hmm. See through it, do you? Like through glass. I've got a reason. 
$200. Meaning? The deposit is... Uh, Crowley? Crowley left for the motorboat. He never came back for it. He never brought the boat back. Found it scattered on a sandbar. Repairs on it came to more than $200. Relax, I'm not parting you for your money. So $200 is why you never made a police report. Police report, you say? That slippery note's back. You knowingly held back information bearing on a murder case. Yeah, I'm a poor man. And a great eight chiseler. Where was Crowley taking himself to? How could I know? Because you're the inquisitive type. Mm. Murder Island? Murder Island? Name it got from the tenants on it. Where is Murder Island? About four miles north by east out there in the sound. Who tenants it? Vince Keeley. If you're a detective, you'll know him. Yeah, I do. Gambling's on. Only nobody's ever proved it. I tried for murder last year, only the jury didn't convict. Keeley had an alibi. Yeah, a surprise alibi. The last-minute kind of knocks down a case. I want a motorboat at a chartered cost to Murder Island. A storm coming up. Well, not for hours, the way the sky looks. Storms are deceiving. I'll take the chance. I'll want a deposit. I'll bring the boat back. If Keeley lets you come back. I'll want a deposit. Storms were deceiving. Storm had come at me. Like Obermeyer had push-button control over storms and was having this laugh at me. Rain and buckets from overhead and, and the river splashing over me below. Faster than I could bail water. It was only minutes before I could swim for it. <laughs> what flashes through your head when you see death working you over? One measly thought playing over and over like a record stuck in a groove. Why did this have to happen to me? When there was no doubt about Obermeyer losing a boat to Davy Jones, I started a long swim. Coming up for the third time. Water running out of your nose and ears. You get hallucinations. Pleasant ones. My hallucination was a sea nymph with the build of a channel swimmer. Looking at her face was like leafing through an old album. She was every lady I'd ever known, starting with my mother. Lie on your back. Give me your hand so I can pull you to shore. Give her my hand. Talking like my life was her special problem. Hold tight now. Hold tight. You obey. You let her take charge while you go to sleep. I knew I was still alive by the sandflies making a playground of my chest. I was on a beach littered with fish skeletons. Hello. And a girl flopping beside me like a come to Bermuda poster of honeymooners. A girl with none of the faces in the old album. Flash storm capsized your boat. Yeah. Obermeyer worked that trick with push buttons. What'd you say? Never mind. You rescued me, huh? I saw you thrashing around like a dying fish a hundred yards offshore. How come you were on hand to see me? Have you noticed my swimsuit? I've got eye strain. Are you always swimming in a flash storm? <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I'm Barry Craig. The detective? 
Oh, I can't believe I'm that famous. You are along 52nd Street. Hmm. 21 in nightclub row. I'm Rose Renee. The queen of burlesque. Oh, I can't believe I'm that famous. You are among uh, connoisseurs. <laughs> exactly where are we? On Murder Island. Oh. You belong to it? I'm married to it. Married? Let me try to guess. Mrs. Vince Keeley. Play hearts and flowers, Maestro. It's as bad as that? A jail sentence. I'm a prisoner of love. Vince bought me only Welsh on the payment. He Welshed after I said I do. Why the frank talk? Well, I feel I broadcast. That's my nature. I'm cooped up on this crummy island so Vince won't have to fight off the boys giving me the eye. The only glad rags I get to wear is a swimsuit. So pick up and go. I'm allergic to morgue. Yeah. Murder is Vince's business, they say. That's no joke. Vince connived his way out of one murder rap last year with a phony alibi. Yeah, I remember the trial. Who was it again Vince was charged with knocking off? Dixie Dugan, his business partner. Slot machines, dice houses, stolen liquor. Dugan was fed up, about to confess all to the DA when he suddenly turned up dead. Vince served champagne that night to celebrate. Why are you telling me all this? On the hunch that its case reopened. But you're here after Vince. You really want a divorce? Oh, any old way. Then tell me about a fellow named Crowley. Crowley was Vince's star witness last year. Crowley's alibi for Vince got Vince acquitted. Sister, your divorce is practically on the horizon if you come through with this next one. Did Crowley come here to murder Alan lately? Crowley was always coming to the island. He and Vince were squabbling all the time. What about? Hush money. I passed the time getting an earful of things. Crowley was putting the bite on Vince. Blackmail for his perjured testimony? I asked you. How about Sam Stacy? Never heard of him. Stacy's being accused of murdering Crowley. News to me, I'm shut off from the outside world. Look, I gotta go now before Vince sends out a searching party. Don't let on to Vince we Am I the dope to kill the golden goose? A snake in Vince's bosom. Boredom wasn't Rose's only motive for putting Hubby on the spot. She had her eye on Big Doe and a high old life as a merry widow. Vince Keeley acted as outraged as a guy could get. Hey, Craig, you've got rocks in your head coming here to burn me. Let's confine the argument to Crowley. I haven't seen or heard of Crowley for over six months. Oh, no? No. Then how has the payoff worked? What payoff? The blackmail money to Crowley for the perjured alibi last year. Hey, you're asking for something. You hitting the river? Now, look, you got me all wrong. I made a shady buck once, sure. It's all behind me. I'm out of the rackets now, clean as a whistle, living respectably. Why, I'm even holed up on the island to keep out of trouble, to, to improve my mind and amount to something more than a mug. I can't cry. I don't have a handkerchief on me. Hey, look around you, Craig. All the books on them shelves. I promised myself I wouldn't get off this island until I read every one of them. Why, even take piano lessons. How about typewriter practice? I asked you to quit writing me. So you didn't murder Crowley to stop his blackmail? No. You also denied that he perjured for you once? I deny it, yeah. And Sam Stacy, Know him? Not familiarly. A punk bookie somewhere, isn't he? He is. They're pinning the Crowley rap on him. It's nothing to me. We through? No. Who's your lawyer? George Brooks. Did Brooks defend you in that murder trial last year? Yeah. Now what are you up to? Just familiarizing myself with all the ramifications of your living. The coming genius like you with books and a piano. I 
I might want to do a profile for the society pages. Craig, get out of here. Sure. But first, I'm showing you this. A rod. A rod. I'll take some killing before I'm killed. You're crazy. Prove it by ferrying me off the island. I uh, lost my boat to a storm. I'll have you ferried off, but stay off. Back in town, George Brooks, the mouthpiece, was twice as outraged as Vince Keeley'd managed to be. Craig, you've no right to persecute Vince Keeley. I haven't, huh? The man's turned over a new leaf. He's reformed. He's cut off every association he had with his former life. Let's boil it down to murder. Accusing Vince of murdering Miss Crowley is fantastic. How about accusing Vince of winning acquittal in a murder trial through the late Crowley's perjured testimony? That's a cheap, contemptible lie. I've defended that case. I know. Why do you represent a man as notorious as Vince Keeley? Because I believe every man has some good in him. Because I'm not a blue nose or a moralist. Because I have every evidence Vince Keeley wants to live a decent, useful life if given a chance. You're positive Keeley uh, hasn't done murder past or present? If I believed otherwise, I wouldn't raise a finger to help him. Whoever murdered Crowley, it wasn't Keeley. And now, if you don't mind, I have a busy schedule. Okay, if I use your phone for a minute? If you must. Harry Craig speaking. Give me Lieutenant Trav Rogers. Craig, if you mean this as some psychological trick, it's utterly childish. <laughs> Is that why you're beginning to perspire? Over coffee and sinkers, I got the benefit of Trav Rogers' power of analysis. Putting one and one together from what you told me, one notion keeps standing up in my head, Craig. Said notion being... That you might end up where you began, with your, uh, client. Stacy murdered Crowley like the police bulletins insist, huh? Yes. Stacy hired you as a smokescreen. You heard Crowley had business with the Czar of Murder Island, and... And hoped I'd uh, create a competing suspect in Vince Keeley. And take the heat off Stacy. The notion makes sense, but... You don't buy it. Not until I have another look at Murder Island. Looking for what? <laughs> the Queen of Clubs. Rose Renee. And at the terrain, the rocks, shrubbery. I'm curious about Crowley's missing clothes, his personal effects. Crowley's clothes? He wasn't wearing any when he came out of the river. You've got a point. Find any article of Crowley's on Murder Island and you've made a liar out of Vince Keeley. Crowley hadn't been around in over six months, Vince swears. Let's go. Oh, just a minute. Uh, you including yourself in? It's suicide to Buck Keeley and his crowd alone. I'm the suicidal type. Uh, morbid depths to my personality, my horoscope says. Oh, Craig, don't be stubborn or vain. The case is too big, too important for a confidential operative to lone wolf it. I've done okay so far, without company. Then I'll have to throw the book at you. You're representing a fugitive from justice, a man we've issued orders to shoot on sight. The regulations governing your license... Cut. Nice speech, but uh, I'm only half convinced. Now, uh... Give me the other half. I don't want to see you dead. Your repulsive kisser is an eyesore I've gotten used to. Like poison ivy in July. <laughs> Lieutenant, you are cordially invited on an excursion to Murder Island. We combed every nook and crag of Murder Island, but no luck. Oh, my aching feet, Craig. I can make a surveyor's map of this rock pile from memory. So we drew a blank. 
Will that be your queen of clubs? It is. Jerry Craig. And friends? Lieutenant Trav Rogers. What have you got? A divining rod for locating me? I've been watching you for half an hour. You're wasting your time. Am I? You won't find Crowley's clothes. How do you know what we're searching for? Is that hard? It even occurred to me to look for him. How'd you make out? Ashes. Ashes? The clothes were burned. See that stone incinerator over there? Yes. That's where Vince burned them. Still punching for that divorce, huh? Lead me to the ashes. Hmm. These are the ashes of fabric. You're sure? I did time in police lab. Fabric burns in its own special way. The ash has a consistency. Hey, I've got something that practically converts the ash back to a suit of clothes. What is it, Craig? What does this look like to you? Uh, cufflink. What's left of it? Any initials? C. C for Crowley. That settles Vince's hash. Oh, freedom, it's wonderful. Postpone that freedom, Jag sister. Hubby's still a long way from the disaster you wish on him. A last mile away. Vince knows your investigation's going to blow hot any minute. That's why he's got his mouthpiece here now. George Brooks is here? Yes, Vince couldn't get his lawyer here fast enough after you came calling. It's murder and this time no phony alibi. I can go back to sleeping nights. I can breathe. I can live. You're uh, putting on quite a show, Miss Renee. I don't make a mystery of my feelings. Lieutenant, I'm glad and I acted. Go rub that ash in Vince's face. Tell him what a homicidal maniac he is and put the handcuffs on him. Well, why don't you go? Why the repertory, Rose Renee? Hysterics. They were long overdue. Vince Keeley roped her into marriage and never let go of the noose. The way you work up sympathy. I'm not all cop, Trev. Who makes the arrest? It's your case. Door's locked. Pistol shot, Craig. From inside the house. Vince! Vince! Let me in! Vince! Can you identify Vince. whose voice? Brooks, the mouthpiece. Open Asking Vince to open the door? Sounds like Vince shot himself. Locked himself in a room and shot himself. Make with that bell again, Trav, and don't take your thumb off it. Who? Craig. And Lieutenant Rogers. What was that shot? Vince. In the library. He locked himself in and shot himself. Rough. I begged them not to, not suicide. What alternative did you suggest, Brooks? Alternative? Lieutenant means suicide or the chair for murder. It was six of one and a half a dozen of another for Vince. Yes, I suppose you're right. You sound like you've changed your mind about Vince's reformed character. Vince changed it for me. He confessed many things to me. I've been a blind fool. What did Vince confess about Crowley? Vince confessed to murdering Crowley. In the library, Vince Keeley lay in peace with a look on his face that said he wasn't sorry to go. <laughs> Queen of clubs fell like a baby. The senseless kind of tears women are famous for. While the mouthpiece Brooks beat his breast and put Vince's <laughs> confession on the record. I've been duped, tricked, made the fool. Vince's confession, please. Vince had hired Crowley to perjure in the trial last year. Mind you now, I believed Vince innocent. Since then, blackmail with Crowley demanding heavier sums. On Crowley's threat to expose his perjury for Vince? Yes, of course, Lieutenant. Vince had to pay to prevent reopening of an old case. 
Crowley bled him white until... Until Vince murdered him and threw him into the river. Yes, that's it, substantially. Uh, Craig. What? Which of us tells him? It's still my case. You're under arrest, Brooks. Why, you're insane. Shut up and listen. Smoke rises to the ceiling and hangs there. You fired a phony shot in the outer hall when we rang the bell. You staged a fake suicide. You'd already killed Vince Keeley in here. Now, what possible motive would you I have? You could be the big shot behind Vince's rackets. Vince had the low mentality of a racket boy, not a biggie. Crowley's threat against Vince threatened you even more. I will stand for and this. And you lie down for it. Oh. Uh. Get off the floor, Brooks, and listen to more. <laughs> you also killed Crowley. Vince would be the world's prized chump to pay Crowley blackmail or even worry about Crowley. That's double jeopardy, Brooks. Crowley could confess perjury from now to doomsday. But no power on earth, no new evidence could force Vince to stand retrial for a murder he already stood trial for once and found acquittal. He's your prisoner, Trav. I'm turning him over to you. A week later, Stacy looked me up to thank me. In a midtown half bra where the Wiener Schnitzel made you hungry for ham and eggs. You took the curse off me, Craig. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Mad dog killer. Those headlines gave me the willies. You're grateful, huh? I'm on bended knees. You can't reach for your wallet like that. Reach for my wallet? There was talk of a fat fee. Oh. I, uh, I hate to do this to you, Craig. But the fact is... The fact is... I'm broke. <laughs> Government's new bookie tax. I folded my tent. No bets, no horses. I'm down to driving a beer truck. For the wife and kids. Oh, uh, that's another thing, Craig, I, I, I want to tell you about. <laughs> no kids? No wife, even. I'm not married. Hmm. Good night, folks. See you next week. Listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, Murder Island, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story titled Fatal Appointment, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, a beautiful girl dies in a hotel room. A man gives all for love, and an appointment for romance winds up in a rendezvous with death. See you next week, folks. Featured in the role of Rose was Elspeth Eric. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC.